Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I'm your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had a conversation about the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's S-W-E, changehappen.co.uk. You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 60, with the title Scavenger Mindset. And I have the absolute honour and privilege to welcome Claire Richmond. Claire describes herself as a social innovator, an engagement specialist, award-winning speaker, and coach. When I asked Claire to describe her superpower, she said, it is a passionate belief in people. Hello, Claire. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, Joe. How lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I know we've been trying to plan this for many, many weeks, and we've had to dart around your building renovations and the noise in the background, but we've finally made it, finally made it. We have, and I'm hoping there'll be no interruptions today. I'm uh, perched at the top of my house in the quietest possible spot, despite the back building is still going on. So fingers crossed. (laughs) Brilliant, brilliant. So Claire, scavenger mindset, tell me about that. Yeah, well, the scavenger mindset is what I have identified as a way to help leaders to find untapped talent within the resources and the teams and even in themselves that they already have. It's a mindset that I have identified from years of working with communities and organisations, really inspired by my first experience of setting something up from scratch with nothing, no money, no resources, no experience, and discovering that actually... Having nothing (laughs) created enormous freedom, not just for me as a leader, but in the way that other people worked with me. So the scavenger mindset is very much about encouraging people to think more resourcefully, more pragmatically and more innovatively about what they already have and how they can use it better. I love that. I love that. Um, When I work with... uh... TA recruiters, I always try to encourage them to see into the heart of the person. And it's yeah. often we get boxed into thinking, this is what I need for this role. This is the job spec. This is this is the the, the gap that's been left by somebody else. I need someone to fill that gap. And I want I want people to see into the heart of, of an individual and say, hang on a minute, what else can you bring? Maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're good for me, but you're also better for the company or better for a different role. So I think, I think that's a really great place to start where we're, we're trying to not box people off. We want to find out what else they can do to enhance their contribution, um, their expertise, their opinions, all those things. And I think, I think that's a great place to start when we're thinking about hiring. But also, as you, as you said, within the talent you already have, what are we missing out on? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I discovered, so, I mean, my background had been working in media and marketing, which to all intents and purposes is a fairly sort of bureaucratic process, despite the sort of, you know, the sense that media is very creative. It, certainly in the days that I was working in it, it was very hierarchical in the way it was approached. And that requires such a level of, or expectation of control and order. And because of that, we tend to sort of put people into sort of orderly places. So this person's an accountant, so that's what they do. This person is creative, so they go in the art department. And actually, what I've discovered from my work in the last 10 years is that people are capable of so much more when you take away the boxes. And it is quite uncomfortable for people. I mean, for for a lot of leaders, it's actually they like to fill the order and we know where people sit. But I've been on so I've been in so many situations where the most unlikely people have come up with some of the most important insights or have come up with some really brilliant creative ideas which don't normally get voiced, don't even get involved in some of the conversations. So I'm I'm a great believer that if you give people the right conditions, 
You will, you will achieve so much more with them. They will achieve so much more themselves. And I often think as well that leaders are equally need to think differently about what they themselves offer and how they can let go perhaps of some of their sense that things need to be in control and we need to have order. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult, um, it's a, it's difficult for you to get their head round. But if you put people in boxes, that's where they stay. And we live in a world which is changing so fast that we need people to come out of their boxes. We need we need everybody to contribute at a higher level. And, and we need really people to become inspired by what is possible. So when we think about, yeah, we, we talk about inclusive leadership. How could, I mean, I'm a great believer. Leaders aren't born. Yeah. Leaders can be nurtured. They can be trained like any other skill. We can teach empathy, compassion. Yeah. Yes, you've got to have an inherent desire to learn and that drive as well. But we, we can evolve our leaders. No one has the, the God-given right to be a leader. We can all have it within us. So how do we encourage our leaders to develop people and uh, and to have this scavenger mindset? What's the, what's the techniques we can start learning? I mean, I know it sounds like a very strange thing to say because it seems so obvious. But the first thing I say to leaders is, do your groundwork. Start at the beginning, get down to the foundations and get to know the people that you work with. Get to really know them. Ask, you know, Involve people in different conversations. Ask them questions. Get to know them on the level beyond the role and responsibilities that they have. Because there's almost like a shortcut to the way we... We interact with each other. There's a sort of, this is your title, this is your level of responsibility, therefore this is the point in which I engage you. And in my experience, that hems everybody in. Um, You know, there, there are situations in the world where you need people who have huge expertise and experience. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the terms wicked and tame problems, but there are there are problems which for which somebody who's been doing this for 20 years is very important because they're going to need that sort of experience, you know, being a surgeon, for instance, or making, you know, rocket ships and things. They all have requirements for expertise. However, we increasingly live in a world of wicked problems, and wicked problems are not actually easily understood. They're not something which has a specific answer. So you need far more different perspectives involved because there isn't going to be, there's your answer, that's how we fix it. It is an ongoing problem and it needs everybody involved. And in those scenarios, there's a lovely example of that with scientists who who got together for the first time different disciplines of science in order to look at a problem that had been a, an issue for a long time. And because they all had different disciplines, they all had different perspectives and they were able to discover things and to suggest things and to challenge things that they hadn't been able to before. So I say to leaders, the first thing is go back and talk to people. Get to know, get to know your teams, get to know yourself beyond the initial labels, the initial accountability. Do your groundwork. And then, importantly, is to build a community around what, what you're looking at doing, what your challenges are. Build that community of diversity. Bring in people from your top to the bottom, whether they're new or whether they're experienced. So bring community to any challenge or opportunity that you're facing. Do your groundwork, develop your community, and then you're in a position to start asking the really exciting, innovative questions which lead to progress and growth. Yeah, I completely agree. I think what I see a lot of and there's, I think the big big challenge when we, t- when we talk about what we talk about here is that staff, colleagues, employees, however we want to describe them, have often been brought up in a world of work where they are stifled, as you say, boxed off, stay in your lane. And we find this maybe happens more when we think about people who are marginalised, black people, women, people with disability. They're just not used to giving their opinion or being heard or even being listened to. Um, the traditional leadership model, doesn't it invite that kind of uh, 
uh, comment and, 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 and in the workplace, people are expected, as you said earlier, to be, to stay in their lane and, and stay in their box. So if you're a leader that is kind of transformational, that they, they're collaborative, they want to listen to this, what can they do to help employees feel that they can speak up? Because I think there's a lot of, you know, if I, if I say something, will I be, will I be penalized for that? Well, well, maybe, maybe there's a culture where there's anxiety of speaking up or fear of speaking up for fear of that, uh, um, putting a head above the parapet and getting it shot off or something. So how can leaders note the, the culture of, of the organization as well? So I think it, it's, it's really, that's the massive challenge that we have is that mindset that, you know, nobody really wants to go out of their comfort zone because it feels obviously a frightening place. And actually getting un- getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is really important. But it, it in my experience, it's all about starting with small steps and building a level of trust because I've, I've worked with organisations and communities where there have been all sorts of initiatives with all the best will in the world. You know, the intentions are great, but they've always sort of brought in a, an initiative to get people to, you know, collaborate better or become more innovative. And it's such a gr- on such a grand scale that it actually scares more people off. And people are, are frightened to sort of change their behaviour because it's such a grand big thing hanging over them. So my, my, my approach has become more and more about really starting small, beginning with the conversations that, that allow people to relax into the fact this is for real. This isn't just some grand gesture that we're doing. This isn't, you know, to sort of tick a box here. This is actually somebody wanting to establish a relationship where I can really feel trusted. And then the building community is very important. That's all about building a safe space, safe psychological space for people to contribute and recognise that people contribute at different levels in different ways. So, you know, when I run community to try to get people together in communities, it's all about looking at what, how people, meeting them where they are at the moment, how do people really feel? And very often that's not easily talked to amongst your peers and amongst the leaders so actually having a neutral voice, a facilitator to start those conversations where people can feel comfortable enough to, to open up and be honest is really important. And then taking those results into a community group where you see people able to sort of, you know, talk at, the, at a point where it doesn't matter what your role is, it doesn't matter what you've done up until now, we're all equal. That's quite a difficult thing to establish. It is exactly mm. what we all need. But you're right, it's difficult. I mean, some of the techniques I've used in, in the past is encouraging people to contribute, you know, getting them to think about a question or get to ask them something prior to the meeting and then being anonymous in their response. So I can then facilitate meeting or somebody, a facilitator, can then introduce people's voices and opinions in a safe way so they're not being, it's, you know, accusatory, people can't be... You know, that if they're worried about what response is going to be, their response will not be associated with them. It will be a neutral, it will be an anonymous voice. So little techniques, which are all designed to keep the space and build a relationship of trust is absolutely vital. But they're small things sometimes. And then gradually you see people's confidence growing when they realise that actually it is okay to speak and it is all right. And in fact, you know, I've, I've got some of my heroes are scientists who I think are amongst the most creative, innovative souls around. And there's a lovely uh, quote from Francis Crick, who was one of the founding fathers of DNA. He's a Nobel Prize winner. And what I, what I find most astonishing about him and his partnership, particularly with Sidney Brenner, was not so much about how brilliant they were as scientists, but how brilliant they were at creativity. And the way they created a space which allowed them to really be vulnerable and honest. And they had this thing on a Friday. I think it was on a Friday, but there was one rule Sidney Brenner used to say they had in their office. And that was that you could say anything. You could say whatever came into your head, however foolish or random or, you know, ridiculous sounding. And because they employed that level of safety within the office that you could say anything and not be laughed at or be made to feel foolish. And these are scientists. These are some of the most brilliant minds in the world. But they absolutely 
contrived a, a, a completely safe space for their creativity to really flourish, where they literally could say anything. And interestingly, he said so often we'd say things which meant nothing really to us, but somebody else might pick up on something and, and see something. But they, he reckoned that it was only because they had that safety that they could say whatever they wanted to say, sound as ridiculous as they wanted to sound, that they made those sorts of incredible leaps mm. in science. Now, that's the sort of safety that we need to try and employ with people. It's that safety where you can say whatever you like and not feel, be afraid of foolishness. I mean, I have a phrase which is being right's not the answer. And that's the sort of principle which creates that space. Being right doesn't matter. There isn't a being right. And that's that's quite a weird thing for people to get their heads around, but that's the level of safety you need. So it's it's looking for small ways that you can build that level of relationship of trust and whatever wherever you are with the people that you're working with those initial conversations will indicate to you what what stage you have to what what things you have to employ to help that and it takes time it doesn't happen overnight so it's a it's a process of learning which you go on together and it's richly rewarding because of it. Yeah, I, as, as you're talking, I was thinking, I've, I've worked for myself or been in a, a leadership position in my own business or senior position in, in other organisations. So I've, I, I've almost forgotten what it's like not to speak up and have an opinion because <laughs> my role has been to speak up and have an opinion. If I'm at, at, at chairing a charity MD of a company, senior director, whatever it may be, I I, I know how to speak up, and I, I but I also recognise that that's a skill I've learnt. Yeah. And many people, I think one of the things you you, you talked about there was psychological safety, mm. and and I, the other thing I pulled out what you were saying there was not hijacking people, so giving people the opportunity to know what's coming. Yeah. At this meeting, at this conversation, I'd love to talk about this, and I'd love your opinions. Yeah, because we know people maybe who are neurodivergent, not neurotypical. Maybe they've been put on the spot. That, that can create high levels of anxiety. People aren't used to expressing their opinions. So they, everything you have said there about creating this this psychological safety, creating this trust, creating this contract of communication between you, so that everybody knows what's expected, then people will learn how to speak up, how to have vo- voice their opinions, because they know it's welcome. Yes. Uh, and I, 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 yeah, you've probably done a lot of training and breakout rooms and stuff over the last couple of years in pandemic. And it's sometimes really, really hard to get people to turn their camera on and their microphone and start joining in the conversation. You're yeah. saying, any thoughts? It's like, oh, no, no, don't ask me, don't ask me. Oh, you can see people retreating, okay, yeah. avoiding eye contact. Yeah. But there's still a lot of that human nature. And I think that's, I think for me, that's the challenge that leaders have to overcome is creating that psychological safety creating that trust environment and and creating a culture where people go yes my voice can be heard yes and depending which setup absolutely joe and and depending on different setup i now work for huge housing association um a while ago and they were very proud of the fact that their ceo once a month took part in a sort of question and answer anybody in the company could ask him a question and that to me was a lovely example of how people having absolutely the right intention, we want this to be inclusive, we want everybody to feel they can ask the CEO a question, but I put it to them that what that did was retained this sort of parent-child scenario where the CEO had was expected to have all the answers and he kind of was the, the, the being at the top of the, the tree who was you know magnanimous in responding. Much more interesting. I felt would be to turn that round instead of asking him, yes. asking everybody else, and then allowing people to answer and allowing people to contribute in the way that they wanted to. Mm. Because that's where you find the magic throughout. That's where you find the wisdoms and the insights throughout an organization or a community. It's very rarely ring fenced around the experts or the people at the top, the experts, the people who are living it and breathing it and involved in different perspectives. Mm. Yeah. Going back to another point, you said it's not about being right. You know, being yeah. right is not the objective. 
I, I used to say you can't be happy and right all the time. So sometimes, cert- certainly in a marriage, and yes. I, I've learned over the years that being right is not actually important anymore. No. Um, being happy is actually more important. I think you can translate into that, into the work environment, being productive, working as a team. It's not about someone being right, someone being wrong by definition. It's about coming, it's about having a shared objective and a shared truth and a shared opinion. I think I think that's 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 really really important, and it's. And I think some of this start, stems, and you're talking the example there about the CEO on stage. Mm-hmm. I think some of it stems from being vulnerable, and mm-hmm. I'd like to think that I'm I again one of my privileges. I've been, I'm comfortable being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable oversharing sometimes, being being the raw me. And maybe if that CEO had started with a vulnerability story about his own. Neuro, neurodiversity or his own challenge he's had or his cancer battle with cancer or his battle with weight loss or alcoholism whatever it may have been and said this is the raw me now ask me anything ask me about that that would have maybe set the scene more to give permission oh, uh, yeah. I think that's a really great starting point i have um i won't swear but i have a technique which um, i've taught a number of people which i call effort friday mend it monday and, and the idea behind that is it gives people permission on the platform to do a number of different things. They can admit to a mistake that they've made. You know, this time when I did this, what, you know, I accidentally found this and, but, or it could be that, you know, you're, you're gearing yourself up for something that you, you're a bit scared of, but yeah, do you know what? On Friday, I'm just going to do it. But the Effort Friday, Mend It Monday is an opportunity for people to have that vulnerability that we've made a mistake or I've got a problem which you send out to the rest of your team and then the Mend It Mondays you have time over the weekend to really think about it and different people can say actually I've thought about that and I've just been thinking because I often think one of the problems about the way that we work is that we expect immediate answers and we expect them to be right and so often it's only I've always found anyway that the way my brain works is that I can be sitting in the you know really interesting workshop or presentation and you know what so you can ask questions and things are going on in the room. But it's only when I'm walking the dog a day later or two days later that my brain has sort of clonk, clonk, clonk and things have suddenly made sense. So again, you know, looking at how you build community, how you how you take your scavenger mindset and bring out this talent is to also consider how, as humans, we really operate. We tend to operate better when we have a bit of space to go back and think things through and when we're not afraid. Because if we know that being right isn't the answer, it gives you permission to have a go and to contribute because you're not... I mean, the interesting thing, I don't know about you, Joe, but the thing that I find most extraordinary about my experience of work and living is... We all share far more than we than we don't share. You know, at the root of humanity, it doesn't even matter whether we go back 200 years or go forward 200 years. What really motivates us to stop doing something or to start doing something is whether we feel valued, whether we feel there's a, a level of connectivity and whether we have ownership. And if you get those things in place, people are are resilient. People are far more creative. And in certainly with, with the scavenger leaders that I've met over the last few years, you know, none of these leaders had any access to money or resources any more than I did when I set up my grassroots high street initiative. I had nothing. But yet they managed to motivate people. And they managed to get people to work, the most random groups of people to work together as teams and to achieve a phenomenal amount. I mean, far more than I ever did. And the way they do that is not by giving people great status or a sense of, you know, um, you know, huge bonuses. Or, but they don't have any money. They have nothing. All they do is they get people very quickly to feel that they matter, to give them a voice, create ownership, and give them a sense of their connectivity to what it is they're trying to achieve. And so I, I, I really feel, that, you know, this whole sort of approach to leadership, creating a mindset that that focuses in on the things that really matter to humans is actually quite simple because it's what it's, we're all afraid of looking foolish. None of us want to say the wrong thing. So if you take away that anxiety and fear, 
You create a space where people can really step forward and are brave and, and, and say things that they really mean and are vulnerable, as you were saying earlier on. If you can be vulnerable, the first person to put their hand and say, I don't know, you know, is the first person who will open up that community for mm. people to start joining in. And I don't know is a superpower as far as I'm concerned. It, it, it's the thing that really, in, in so much in the world we live in now, it's the only honest answer. Yeah, I, I, it, I don't know, and I can't do it. A two sentences, you can always put a comma and the word yet after. Yes. So I don't know yet, but I can find out. Leave it with me. Let me Absolutely. look at it. I can't do that now, but I could do that, given the chance, given the time, given the training, yet. So I think, yeah, not knowing everything, I think, is, is, is extremely powerful and, and admitting you don't know everything, rather yeah. than floundering and guessing and – and making ill-informed decisions or ill-informed opinions where you've, you're just because you're under pressure to do something. It's a bit exactly. like an interview situation where you feel like you've got to answer the question now. Exactly. Um, well, you've got yeah. to, you know, you've got to deliver what you think somebody's expecting, even though you know it's not going to work. I mean, mm. the most ridiculous scenarios, if we look over, I mean, there are so many examples. It's The book I've written has many in there. Um, of, of of people making decisions which deep down they know aren't right, but they're so afraid of, of being honest and they're so afraid of telling their line managers or their bosses that what's really going on here is is actually nothing like they're being presented in the boardroom. And to mm. me, that's just, that's just such a waste. You know, talking about untapped talent, it's like, you know, we are wasting so much talent from all corners of the world because we have created this ridiculous climate where we expect people to be able to predict the future. We expect people to be controlled in situations where control isn't even possible. It's not within your power. So we're all sort of chasing our tails to look like we've, we've achieved something which probably isn't possible anyway. We're all sort of mm. focusing on the wrong things, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think many leaders and managers become very parochial and very protective of their resources their staff because they're so focused on their objectives and i would love to see every leader's objective to develop their people to the point where those people can move on in the organization or move on somewhere else because that has been their growth because if we we bring people into to box them into one role at some point they're either going to become frustrated that they've never moved on or so conditioned to this is the way we do things you never get any creation or innovation in there so i'd love to see leaders hiring into organizations knowing full well that their mission is to is for that person to grow and leave not to try and hang on to them and actually celebrate people leaving because they're they're advancing um i I see the frustrations i've seen it with people worked around me where they had, they've had no training, they've had no development, they've had nothing. They're just expected to do their job. They're, f- mm. they're fed the next task, but not mm. the, fit- not yeah. the 15 tasks ahead. So they can think about things in advance. So just literally what's on the plate today. And I think, I think that's one of the, one of the challenges is this, the, the, the mindset of a leader creating growth for their team. And I, I, I think that's, that's a mindset we need to start nurturing and enhancing in our leaders. And I think absolutely, Joe. And I think there's something really profound about the starting point. You know, when I meet leaders, there are, you know, the leaders that I've met, right, who who were my sort of scavenger pioneers, the leaders who have inspired me by setting up something from nothing and achieving incredible things, sort of global organisations from starting from nothing and doing it very quickly within a matter of years. And then meeting leaders in more conventional setups, there's a sort of, I can very quickly identify if a leader believes that their team, their people are really, they really believe in their abilities. And there's a sort of um, sense that I find too often that they're quite scathing of the people. Oh, they're not good enough. They don't have enough skill. You know, there's, there's this sort of sense of we haven't quite got the right people yet. They don't have enough. We don't have the right skills. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough resources. And I sort of point out, well, these, what's enough? And how do you know that's true? 
How do you know that you don't have enough people? How, how are you working? What are you doing that's perhaps not allowing you to see that you actually do have, ex- and in my experience, we all have exactly what we need already. Mm. We just need to learn to identify it and properly release it. We need to tap into the talent that's already there. And we don't, we skim over the surface and we're focusing on things which perhaps are never going to engage that talent in a way which will show you you've got what you need. I mean, if if a bunch of people that I've met over the years, and there's, as I said, loads of them, but people who start with nothing can create from random groups of people, many of whom don't even speak English or they don't have any qualifications. None of them would get the jobs they're currently doing if they went through the normal process. And yet they're capable of setting up organisations which go global within five years. It suggests to me that it's the problem is leadership, which, as you say, is 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 not letting out. And I don't blame leaders. You know, it, it's it's they have been, you know, as you said right at the beginning, we we sort of being brought up to believe that we fit into boxes and that this is and leaders' jobs are the job of a leader is to be right and to be in control and to be able to say things with real authority. And the problem is, time and time again, although that's been proved to be fatally bad as, as an approach, um, that's what they're hemmed to do. So I do quite a lot of work with leaders to help them rethink what their leadership can be, to, to let them mm. let go, if you like, of a little bit enough for them to begin to see that the people they work with are capable of more. They don't need to control anyone. And it's that sort of psychological safety for the leaders as well. That, you know, your value is, as you said so beautifully, the value of a leader is not that it can, you know, set targets and meet them. The real value of a leader is it can see talent and let it grow. Mm. And so the whole, you all work together. So I mean by community, this is about, you know, not not seeing not seeing the departments, not seeing the, the functions and the differences, but seeing what you're all trying to achieve together and how actually it might be a bit messy, but actually it's far, far better to bring people along with you than to try and segregate and keep them controlled. But don't, don't we see this in kind of the the traditional hiring or HR model? It's, it's all about yesterday. Yes. When we, when we, the CV process, the interview process is what have you done? Yes. What have you done before? Past performance should be an indicator of future performance. Well, it doesn't work for stocks and shares. It doesn't always work with people because the scenario is different, the company is different, the team is different. Yeah. So someone's past success isn't always an indicator. And I, and I think what we should be looking for, which is coming back to your scavenger mindset, is someone's capability. I haven't done that before, but hey, I'd love to give it a go. Yeah. Their learning ability, their learning quotient, their yeah. their their, their, their flexibility, their passion, their their values. To me, if you've got that, the learning ability, the passion, the capability, and the drive to succeed, I can give you anything yes. with a bit of training. And, yes. you, and you'll tell me whether it's working for you or not. And you go, yeah, I've never done that before. Fantastic. Yes. So when, I, when I'm applying for roles, which I do infrequently these days, it always frustrates me that, that, this, that they're asking me about what I have done. Well, I haven't done that for years. But sure, as eggs is eggs. If you say we're going to do that, I go, yeah, sounds like a great plan. I'm up for that. Let's go, let's go for it. Absolutely. And that's what we miss, isn't it? We miss yes. the potential, the capability, the drive, the desire. Because I think, again, picking up on something you said earlier, it's around what is my part as a cog in the bigger machine? I'm not an accountant. I'm here to deliver housing yes, or vulnerable people or people, yeah, whatever. And my role within that is to make sure the book's balanced. But my, my real objective is part of the overall mission. And I think we too often we we box people into their little little zone and say, this is what I do. Actually, yeah. no, I don't. It's, I think it's, it's a famous story. I don't know if it's true or not. Yeah, so you are, someone asked the janitor at NASA what yes. they did. They said, I put people on the moon. Uh, Absolutely. I was thinking the same and story. It's a, bit, it's a bit cliche and it's a bit, bit of an old story. But that's what what it needs to believe. what's my mission? What's my Absolutely. part of this mission? Absolutely. Because I, mean, I, I was doing a workshop with a pharmaceutical company a few years ago when they were doing um, a big thing about their purpose. And they spent a lot of money on developing a new purpose. And it was very good. And everybody's very proud of it. There were T-shirts and balloons. Ahoy, on. 
And yet when I ran my workshops, and in each of the workshops, there was a real diversity of people there, all sorts of different levels within the organisation. And I, I, every time I asked this question, I ran three workshops that day, um, I got the same response and I said, so how is this new purpose impacting on the way that you're working? How is it, how is it improving it? Or what's exciting you about in employing this new purpose within the way that you work? And there was a real sense of, well, what are you asking us that for? It's a purpose. It's, it's, it's almost like a strap line. Why should that have an impact on us? But we then began a conversation around, because it was a great purpose, and, and how it could have an impact on them. And the woman in one of the workshops came up with an insight. And she, you know, she to begin with, she was a bit sort of, I could see she was a bit not entirely sure I was where I was heading with this. But when she began thinking about it, when she was given some time and space and just, you know, let, let's think that, that what could this mean for you and you what are your contributions that you can make to this? She came up with this insight, which was absolutely brilliant. And by the end of the evening, afternoon, she had got literally a community of people around her from all across the organisation saying, that's brilliant, that would make such a difference to me because I hadn't realised you did that. But da, 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 da. They hadn't talked to each other before. And the extraordinary thing was she was an accountant. She's, you know, she said, I sit in the depths of the, of, of the organisation. I never get invited to these things. I never ask. I didn't, you know, I'm glad to come here. It's nice to get away for the weekend. But I hadn't, it, you know, what a waste. That's untapped talent. That there person has a perspective on something here, which is really valuable. And yes, she should, yeah. be, she should be the, you know, everybody's a janitor. Everybody's helping people to get to there. And everybody has some, an insight or something important that can have an impact. That's what I mean by the untapped talent. It's all around. We don't even we don't work with a quarter of what's already available to us. We just skim that skim that surface and and that you know when I think about my children who are twenties, early twenties now, and they look at their futures and they're both at university, but they're sort of you know one of the, the conversations we have most frequently is their fear around well, there's so much uncertainty in their young lives. And they're they're trying to work out how they can be, how they can build certainty into their life so that when they leave university they can be sure they're going to be okay. And I've said to them, we've never there's never been that level of certainty in life. It's never existed. We've just pretended it has, and that's where the stress has been because you keep expecting to be certain and in control when there's none. But a scavenger mindset says, look, we don't know about that. But all I can tell you is this: that when you get there, you're going to be okay because you're resourceful, because you're pragmatic, and because you're actively engaged in the world, so you will be able to work innovatively with whatever you've got available to you. You're going to be fine. At the root of this, you're fine. You've got everything you need. And when you get there, you know how to employ the resources that you've got in order to help you over any challenges. Don't worry about that. You can't do anything about it. Enjoy where you are. Enjoy the journey. That's the learning bit. This is the bit. Don't focus on the end bit, mate. Who knows? <laughs> Living in the present rather than having the anxiety about what if is, is yeah. yeah. And I, I, I would never say cut yourself off from what's going on in the future. No. But don't let it worry you. you know, control the controllables. Make sure you're aware of what's coming. I, th- I think that's really, really powerful. I think we, uh, I'd like to think a lot of us learned this over, over the last two or three years, you know, the yes. lockdown. Um, we went from having a life of fair, fairly certain rules mm. to suddenly thrust into a life where everything we believed suddenly changed overnight you know we yeah. there's no way that we're going to be locked in our house for three months yes no how could how could that ever happen yes and then suddenly we are um yes. and we kind of accepted it and went okay if that's what i have to do that's what i have to do i'll go for my half hour walk and i'll come back home if someone had said to you that a year before you'd have gone nah that's that's a, a present state yeah so we, we we adapted very quickly, didn't we? Well, that's the thing, and that's that's the lesson. Going back to your thing about the HR and CVs and things, you know, for me, what's really fascinating, and I've met, you know, worked in communities which many people would label as deprived, you know, have problems. It's like, you know what, I've met some of the most innovative, enterprising, resourceful, and frankly productive people in some of the places which every you know which as i said would be pretty much just oh yeah that's that they're a problem area no they're not there are problems there there are problems everywhere 
you know, don't start with that premise. Start with the premise that there are people here. What what can what good can what what good is there? Go and find out because I have I've met with people who you would have dismissed and overlooked and really have richness beyond anything I've seen in the more sort of qualified era. And I sort of feel and particularly, I mean, I have now done a degree, but I didn't do. I was the first one in my family not to go to university by some considerable margin. I mean, going back over, you know, generation. So I had to learn to work with life without a plan. I mean, I knew I wanted to, you know, live in a nice place and, you know, not be starved. I knew there were certain things in my life I, I wanted, but I didn't know how I was going to get there. And in some ways, that meant that uncertainty has. And, and and having to navigate this sort of the you know work with the here and now and not worry too much about what goes on. And of course, I've always had plans, but work with what you've got, see what you've mm. got, stay where you are, and you know, and make the most of things. See where you've already got. Don't just skim over things. Enjoy that journey. Learn. So that sort of whole scavenger. Where am I? What what can I use? How can I use this to the best of my advantage? What are the opportunities? What are the challenges facing things, dealing with things? And one of the things the pandemic has shown us all is that actually, if you embrace it, working with the here and now and dealing with uncertainty can be joyous. We've all survived this. You know, from, from childhood upwards, we've survived dealing with uncertainty. We've We've navigated change as a natural part of growing up, and yet it's something we still have to learn almost that it's okay to change. It's that like change is not something to be frightened of, it's something to actually really learn through and work with. But in my the scavenger CV, which I'm, I'm hoping to develop over the next few months, is, is, is trying to encourage HR departments. To yes, of course, ask about people's qualifications. They're important. But also, maybe ask somebody about a time when they were very innovative. Or ask somebody about a time when they had to be resourceful. Or when they had to use their leadership skills. And they may not look like the, the way that we think, but there are countless examples in all our lives and we have demonstrated extraordinary powers of scavenger. Mm. But we don't necessarily, they don't necessarily show up on a CV. But anybody, you could put anybody in front of me and I'll find their scavenger powers. They'll be there and they will be hugely important and incredibly valuable to any organisational community if they were recognised and they were given that sense of, yeah, you've got this power. That's that's impressive. So do you think, as yeah, with, with lockdowns a thing of the past, businesses are now trying to, coerce if i make if i dare to use that word mm-hmm. people back into the office even our government ministers are making these big bold statements that it's time to come back and do some proper work you know oh. kind of phrases as, which is desperately insulting to everybody who has always worked from home small business owners uh, and everybody's had had a really productive um, covid environment so our employees doing enough to listen and understand what is making a productive team rather than we seem to be falling into this dictate that you can only work effectively around a water cooler. Yeah. And I mean, I'm probably going to, it's probably slightly unfair of me, but I'm going to exaggerate this a little bit, but I I think half the problem is the country is run by people who want to have reflected back at them, the world that they feel most comfortable with the things that, that they feel they've been brought up to value the most. This is what this is what education looks like. This is what hard work looks like. This is what value looks like. And it has a place. But they themselves aren't equipped to deal with the world we're dealing with. And they seem to get, you know, the more out of control or the more sort of um, discombobulated they feel by the world, the more they're trying to control it and get it back to something that they used to know. It's no longer fit for bloody purpose, sorry. No longer fit for purpose. It's no, if it has ever been, it's certainly not now. And that's, they're missing out. I mean, that, as you said, the insult, the insult to people that they have to have some sort of, you know, parents standing over them to make sure they do their homework. Come on. 
you know, we are all we're we have all survived things, and most of us have survived true trauma in the last few months. What we need is to learn from each other, not not to sort of set our stall by whether or not somebody's in an office or not. It's like, what's the best way? Let's treat everybody. Let, let's share this ownership of learning. Let's work out what it is that we've all learned from this that can go forward to make us all far more productive and far happier. Because if you are happy, you become more productive. And if 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 we can find a way, I mean that it, it, as you you know, it, sorry, it's a real you've hit a nerve with me because it really gets to me. There's and it goes back to that point that I said earlier on. There's you know, I come across leaders who fundamentally start the premise they don't believe in the people that they work with, that they are capable, that they can be trusted. I don't know if you've, you've heard of the, the research done in the 1960s by a guy called McGregor, Theory X and Theory Y. Yes. Right. So yeah, There are X people and Y people, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Theory X leaders start from the premise that their, their team's are lazy and need to be properly motivated, that they need lots of controlling and, you know, they need to be looked at, you know, carefully monitored. Otherwise, you know, who knows what they'll end up doing. And then theory why leaders tend to be, start from the premise that the people they work with are absolutely trustworthy, self-motivated, capable, intelligent people who can contribute something significant. And the big difference, of course, is that Theory X leaders end up having a self-fulfilling prophecy because they treat people so badly that they end up going, well, stuff you. And Theory Y leaders, and, and they will do the bare minimum. You know, they'll do the job because they need to be paid, but they will do the bare minimum. Whereas, And they may well nick the odd pen, actually. Um, and then Theory Y leaders have, have teams of people who are utterly motivated who are far more creative and far more productive because they're treated. I mean, it is. it goes back to the water babies, you know, be good as you would be treated by whatever that woman's name was. I mean, it's common sense, but it has a marked difference. And if you treat people with such a level of distrust and disrespect, you're going to get that back in spades. Well, my, my retort to anyone that has the that, that X personality is, if you don't trust people, why are you hiring them? Yes. Surely you part of part of the fundamental yes contract when you hire somebody is you have a level of trust. I mean, yeah. People generally will will pay back that trust with responsibility with other things. Um but yeah, I think I think so many people as you say are are bought up in that mindset if I can't see you I can't trust you. I need to I need to I want to be it's not micromanaging you at least understanding what you're doing now what you're doing next i want to be in control of that i think some of that comes down to maybe their own insecurity or or, yes. or what's their what's their leadership purpose exactly if it's if it's not cracking the whip or beating the drum that that's how you know, the the command and control leadership model we see that as as my purpose is to drive my people and make yes. sure they're performing yes. not creating an environment where people can succeed and the leader's role is to unblock, to inspire, to strategize, to, to create conversations and to, and to listen to people. Um, I've, I've always said that I'd rather run a business that I had no expertise in because it wouldn't allow me to interfere with the, the production. If you like, yeah. I could just talk about, I mean, I joked about running a pizza company because I love pizza. But I don't know how to make it. I don't know. I don't want to make it. But I could talk to you about fulfillment. I could talk to you about product. I could talk to you about cost per pizza and all these kind of things. So I can think about that strategically. But I don't want to make one. But I want to find people who make the best pizzas and make sure they stay and make sure they're motivated. Yeah. Um, I've had the least satisfaction where I become a technician, and I, I'm in in the middle of it. And that's where I get most frustrated. Where I, I'm the expert. And I'm I'm the buck stop as well, and that's where it becomes extremely frustrating as a leader, where you have the, all the expertise. And I, so I'd say any advice for le- for leadership I have is don't be the expert. And you know, I think we said that earlier. Don't have all the answers. Don't have all the don't answers. Be the solves all the problems. And, and and you know the reality is, you know, if you look at most problems at the moment, when we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we, we need to start thinking more like farmers. I mean, you have a plan for the year. Of course you do. You know that you've got to, you know, but you, there's no point worrying about the fact you don't know whether what the weather's going to do. 
So you have to set yourself up to be absolutely actively engaged in what's going on so you can have your antennae up to change. You can bring people in. You can you can work more agilely and leanly. You, you know, yeah. work with the – I think this, the phrase I use – I've got so many blooming phrases, but one of the phrases I use is, you know, you've got to work with reality and stop trying to control it because you can't. You, know, you can't control it, so stop trying to. You know, that's what I mean. We'll focus on things that you can do and, and – it, it, it is it, it's it, it is something which I think leaders like all of us they're human you know we want to feel valued we want to feel comfortable nobody wants to feel uncomfortable but actually if we could just learn that uncomfortable is actually quite an exciting space and if you know that being right isn't the the, the, the great nirvana but to discovery is exploration is being you know involved with the people working with others that is where it's about, I mean, in some strange way, I think, you know, we, we think that learning is about measurement. It's not. It's about understanding. And just because you can measure something, you know, you could be missing so much, so much else. We need to think, you know, there's a lovely um, story about Ford, who years ago was sort of, you know, measuring their success by the number of chucks that came off the conveyor belt. I'm slightly going to paraphrase this because my memory isn't brilliant on detail. But it was only when they, they, and this somehow didn't compute with what was really going on. And when they widened their their lens to look, instead of just measuring sort of outputs, but started looking at staff turnover, starting to look at absenteeism, starting to look at, you know, productivity at a different level within, they began to see they were all over the blooming place. And that actually, you know, they had been measuring one very small thing, but missing out the most important part of the story. And I, I do think that we need to we need to see leaders in, in a facilitator role, in a supporter role, in a role which is sort of standing from the back. Like my scavenger leaders, you know, they 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 all of them had very clear views of what they wanted to achieve. But you know, the phrase I use is, you know, they were very clear about their direction, but open to the route. I don't know how we're gonna get there, I haven't got a clue. So let's do things to find out. Let's like scientists, let's test and trial and work things out, and let's come back and see. What worked? What didn't work? You know, and let's broaden our reference points so we can bash down some boundaries about what we think is important, what we think successful, and what we think we're about. Who's to say? Let's challenge some of our assumptions. Let's say, well, who who says we can't do that? Who says that's the most important? How do we know what a customer is? How do we know what you know? Do you know what I mean? It's sort of it's it it, it it's mm. about sort of this to me. This is the ear of the scavenger. This is a really exciting time. This is a time of hope when actually we need all hands to the deck and we need to look again and look a bit deeper at people and stop making our assumptions and stop being fearful of being not being right because being right is no longer the answer. We've, we've got to learn and, and we've got to learn quickly and we need as many people helping us as possible. I, I listened to you there, and, and, and a story is popping into my mind. Um, I, I, I kind of had this mantra um, over the last ten or so years that I wanted to navigate the world without without GPS, without sat nav. Wow. Um, when I was kind of negotiating or liaising with my own part of my business, I, I'd often meet business consultants. You know, you know, this typical sort of business plan need need to have all this sort of stuff, and I and, that, and I said. I don't want that. I don't, I know, I know I've kind of got this idea of what's on the horizon. I've kind of got this idea of what I want ahead, but I want to wiggle around. I want to go into the forest, no sat nav, and just see where the path takes me and go, oh, left or right. Oh, let's try a bit of left. Oh, that's a bit muddy. Oh, let's try a bit of right, a bit of left. And then one day you pop out the forest and go, oh, wow, it's sunny out here. Or if it's raining, you go back in and, and, and go another direction. So I, I wanted to navigate my business life, my, to some extent, my personal life. Without necessarily having the specific in mind, it was the destination I was looking for, not how I got there. Enjoy the journey, sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, when I was in the in this on the west coast of the US once, I was on a project there twenty, 20 odd years ago, and we had some free time at the weekend. I think it was Thanksgiving weekend, and the team we all went out just wandering around LA, and we did what I call green man navigation. So we got to the first junction, and whichever junction was green we went across that road 
and we walked, and then we got to the next junction. If it was green, we went. If it was red, we go green. So we navigated around LA looking for somewhere to have lunch via Green Man navigation, and we just went wherever the Green Man went. And it was a fantastic way of just allowing yourself to explore something where you haven't got a necessarily an exact destination in mind, but allows you to explore something with a bit of strategy or a bit of a bit of fun. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I do love the idea of just chucking the GPS away sometimes and yeah. just navigate by green men. Where's that opportunity? What's the opportunity next? What's the next opportunity? And see where it takes you. Yeah, because that's where I think you know. I, if you look at most natural disasters in the world, you will see scavenger at work. You will see, you know, that actually when when you take away the, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a horrible. Um, example in many ways but it's it does illustrate the fact that people are with the right conditions people are incredibly enterprising innovative and able to self-organize and be self-motivated in a way that it's in you just don't get in the normal sort of working environment and when you look at Katrina for instance there's a wonderful example of that where it was the grassroots communities that were saving lives and looking after each other, and self-organising, and keeping things going, where 200 miles away, there was a hotel room full of first responders who were going through the health and safety issues implied in a scenario of a natural disaster. And the stories coming out from the farm infants are saying, we know we couldn't believe it. So we were sat there being told we had to, you know, fill in forms. It's like, no, we need, we need to get there and do things. And it's such a brilliant example of, you know, just... I guess, you know, that, that superpower thing you asked right at the beginning when we um, talked about at the beginning of the podcast, this sort of what do I be? I really know. I know that people are capable of far more. I've witnessed the most unlikely people being the most extraordinary leaders. I've seen people change lives for the better when they have very, very little in the way of resource or experience. But my God they're able to make a profound transformation to the lives of people that they live or work near. And they don't have any of the, the conventional sort of expectation. They don't have the, they haven't done an MBA. They haven't, some of them even got, you know, to school, got through school. Some of them, you know, the, we can't overlook people anymore. We can't afford to waste the talent that exists within our world, within ourselves. If we keep sort of focusing on making sure we've got that map and we're sticking to it no matter what, we fail to capture the opportunities that exist, that just emerge from our involvement. And we fail to address the challenges properly. We fail to properly face the ugly truths of the realities. And so we avoid things and mistakes get made and things don't happen and people can die because we're too scared to say all of that is is what happens when we try to follow a map too closely instead of being realistic about the fact that, you know what, follow the green man. Let's, you know, we've got a very clear sense of what we want to achieve here. Let's just see where and, and trust ourselves. that Actually, we have an innate wisdom in us. We have an innate intelligence and we all have value, which is very rarely represented in the world, but I hope increasingly will become more so. But I love that green man story. I might do that myself. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. I I think that's a, a very poignant moment to to end this episode. Thank you so much. Gosh, it's a neat There's place. lots of inspiration that you've uh, given us here today, and I'm really, really inspired. Oh. Uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to make contact? Well, I'm about to um, publish a book called The Scavenger Mindset, and that before now for that there is a speak to site that you can reach me at or i'm on linkedin with richmond claire speak to um so yes i'm afraid i haven't yet set up my scavenger platform because you are the very first person to hear that concept so there'll be much more of it coming across the year but thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about it for the first time it's been really fascinating talking to you joe i've loved it Thank you. So Claire Richmond, so C-L-A-R-E Richmond yeah. on LinkedIn. Yes. And your website is speak to S-P-E-A-K-T-O.co.uk. Is that yes, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Brilliant. Well, I'm sure people 
will contact you and you'll, you'll welcome their uh, their feedback. Thank you so much. And also a huge thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in and uh, getting to the end of the, sh- the show. Please do subscribe and please keep yourself updated with future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast, that's B-I-T-E-S. Please share it. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues. Uh, we love to have subscribers, so thank you so much. I have a number of other exciting guests lined up, and I'm sure you'll be equally inspired by them over the next few weeks and months. Of course, if you'd like to be a guest, if you're listening in there and you'd like to be a guest, I'd welcome you to apply. Um, I'd also welcome any feedback and suggestions you have on how I can improve. So just drop me an email to joe.lockwood at steechangehappen.co.uk. And finally, my name is Joanne Lockwood. It's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. I'll catch you next time. Bye.